All right, I'm here with the Chans, Matt and Cherie. How are you guys? Great, Jason. Thank awesome. you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Jason. So you're eating breakfast. What, what's, what's a typical Chan breakfast? It's identical every time we make it. It's sweet potatoes, broccoli, onion, egg. I usually have meat instead of egg. Matt usually has egg, turkey, bacon, and fruit. So when you say identical, is it identical to each other or an identical breakfast daily? Every day we're together, it's identical. Like we cook the same exact thing. Yeah, we have different, different weights on all, all the foods, but other than that, it's the exact same thing. So you're weighing and measuring, precision and accuracy. Always. Always. <laughs> Matt, you just got off a shift at the firehouse, right? Yeah, I did. So you, are you awake for this? Is this a good time? You, did you get a good night's sleep? Yeah, so I work at a, a station where we average uh, anywhere from 8 to 14 calls. Uh, and real bad days, we can get up into the low 20s. And I'm on for 48 hours straight. So each call is about an hour and 15 minutes. So you can do the math, you know, with let's just put 10 calls at an hour and a half. It doesn't leave you a lot of time to do much, including sleep. So a lot of stuff suffers. Food suffers, exercise suffers, uh, sleep suffers, but I'm feeling good. I'm ready to roll. Well, but so I know we have quite a few firefighters. The box that I coach at is owned by a firefighter and there's a big community there and they enjoy that. But then there is a firefighter who works at the airport as a close friend and he loves the fact that it's quiet. Right. Do you find that more firefighters prefer a night like you've had or prefer to work somewhere where it's just like, hey, if we get no calls, I'm happy? Uh, I think it really depends on the person. Um, the one probably variable that, that would lean either direction is seniority uh, and maybe years of service. So usually the younger guys want, want to try to get fires and run nasty calls and more call volume is better. And then the older you get, you start to realize that, you know, being busy all the time affects your sleep, your recovery, your weight. Um, all of those things. And it's just like, man, I wouldn't mind being at a nice slow house where we just run two calls a day. It'd be like coaching a class and you get a class of veterans and you're like, this is great. I can just run through the whiteboard brief and get going versus having to coach everybody up. So you, something interesting, you guys just said you have the same breakfast. And I think that makes sense knowing that you two are very much, I would say the word minimalists. Is that a fair assessment? I don't think we'd label ourselves that way, but uh, I would say that we appreciate people who are minimalists and we don't like clutter. So like Matt's always been a neat freak. And one of my favorite memories of Matt, which some people find like appalling, is that he bagged up like, I don't know, five grocery, five big garbage bags of my clothes one year and just put them by the front door. And he was like, these, these are leaving the house. And, and he's really funny. I think it's funny. And it's partially funny, partially manipulative, where he's like, well, you don't want those anyways, because they don't look good on you anymore. So not, not only has he like minimized our, my closet for me, uh, but he's also made it that I will never wear them again, because clearly I don't look good in them anymore. This is, this is a lesson I learned, though. You don't do that when you're married. You can't do it to other people's stuff. You can only do it to your own. I, I've learned the same exact lesson, Matt. When Roz goes away, it's my time to declutter. 
but yeah. I don't touch anything of hers because I learned I threw one pair of sunglasses away one time and I still hear about it. Oh yeah, of course, of course. So, so beginning of what you're talking about with minimalism, I definitely was a little bit more of a hoarder when Matt met me and I just sort of latched onto the idea and now we just purge things once a year, but I wouldn't really call us minimalists. We just don't have a lot of clutter. We don't have a lot of clutter. You've lived out of a van. Yeah, yeah we lived out of an Airstream for a year. So you can't have much in there. People, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of that. It's, it's how I like to live. Say someone's listening and they're like, oh, that sounds a little interesting. What are some steps you would offer? What are some tips? How can they start to declutter their lives? Well, I think step one is identify what causes you stress uh, with, that, with that clutter. Um, you know, for me, when I look at uh, the desk in the office from time to time, it's just stacked up super high. So when I see that, it's just like, ugh, got stuff to do. Oh my God. You know, we're probably falling behind on a couple of, you know, paperwork things. So that's just a reminder like, hey, that's, if that's stressing me out, I should probably address it and deal with that first. If your closet's overflowing and laundry's becoming an issue, do that second. If your garage is a mess and you're, your sports equipment is unorganized and it doesn't have a place and it just goes in a pile, deal with that too. So I think the first step is identifying what's the stressor and then you can prioritize. And so we can, little things at a time because it's overwhelming if you're trying to like make everything organized and clean. It, it's too overwhelming. So maybe you just do, you know, 20 minutes a week or something. And then before you know it, everything is organized and clean. You just, but you can't look at it like, oh, I want to do that, but my whole house is a mess. That, that will just kill you. So I'm going to say a word that will hopefully sum that up, triage. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we triage you just like we're triaging an athlete and you're coaching them. But you guys, maybe it's about a year ago, you did 30 days. Yeah, we do it once a year now. And uh, this year we've been doing so good at purging our stuff that we didn't even make it all the way because we didn't have enough stuff to get rid of. But um, yeah, you get rid of one item the first day, two items the second day, three items the third day. And I don't remember the exact math, but between the two of us, it was upwards of 600 items each in one month that we got rid of. So it's cool because it makes you look at like the closet where you have food and it makes you look in your underwear drawer and it makes you look, you know, behind the sofa because eventually you're like, well, there isn't anything that's just laying around I want to get rid of. So you have to start really thinking about it and be like, well, I haven't used this in three years. Why is it still sitting here? Shouldn't be getting rid of it. So how do you decipher, okay, I really don't have enough to continue these 30 days versus I'm to hoarding or, I mean, not hoarding, but just, I don't want to get rid of stuff. Well, I was this year, I, I failed after I think like 15 or 20 days. Uh, Which is still hundreds of items. Hundreds. And that's the thing is like, I was starting to throw away things or recycle things that we were going to have to replace. And it's like, all right, this is, this is pointless. I need to just stop here. This is it for this year. I did a good job and, and kept, kept the clutter out of my life and I don't need to go 30 days. But the first time it was pretty easy uh, to, to make it to that probably day 25. Mm -hmm. But then in those last five days, you got 26 items followed by 27 items followed by 30, you know, and it's just like, Okay, well, I guess maybe I should count each individual 
sock sock that I'm getting rid of rather than pairs of socks. You know, so it's it's fun, it's creative, and it's a it's a nice to game game to play with probably a whole family. I think you know kids could probably get into that too. Like, what do you what toy do you want to get rid of, or what you know piece of clothing do you want to get rid of that doesn't that you don't like and you don't wear anymore? And to Matt's point, like we kind of kept it up throughout the years. So, you know, I usually do some form of like purging once a month of taking stuff to Goodwill. So we just kept doing it, like little things. It wasn't to that magnitude, but it's become a pretty regular habit now. And that's why we weren't able to make it to the 30 days. Yeah. 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 I think it's, I mean, for, I read the magical art of tidying up and it eliminated so much stress in my life. I think people fail to realize what having junk around does for them. Totally. Mental clutter. Now, the one thing I'll say though, Matt, is I work with Shereen. and she, she said, you still hoard sports equipment. Oh, gosh. I don't know if I'm throwing you under the bus there, Sheree. It's true. It's, it's absolutely true. But I will say this, like, and Sheree, I know will agree with this. I would just call you a gear whore. Yes. <laughs> I will swap out gear every single year. Constantly. And replace it with newer stuff. So it's not like I keep the old stuff. I get rid of it. I sell it or I give it to a friend. How many bikes do you have? I have three bikes currently. How many pairs of skis do you have? I have four pairs of skis currently, but everyone has a purpose. <laughs> Different types. Of, I'm not, you know, I've skied, but I don't know that four is necessary. Yeah, yeah. But I have, one, I have two bikes because I have a commuter and a mountain bike, but I have two pairs of skis. Yeah. So we, he does have a little bit more gear sports wise, but to his point, he, you know, I used to get really upset about it because I'd be like, we can't spend all this money constantly on sports gear. Like it would just stress me out financially, but he's so good at, getting rid of it before it's lost its value so then what he'll do is because he said he's constantly changing it so like they've only had one year on the skis so he sells them and he makes decent money off of them and he puts that towards the new gear so we're still you know paying for new gear but it's such a lower like percentage because of how he does it it yeah. make, makes it worthwhile the the other thing you said to me when we worked together that was in texas maybe a few months ago and one thing that stuck with me, and this will come out of nowhere, other than your phenomenal coaching was when you get in a car to leave the door open. Okay. You said, fumes. yeah, you said like it's the most carcinogenic, <laughs> like, and it's something I started doing immediately because I was like, well, <laughs> you know, I try to be so healthy and then I'm probably doing. So Matt, can you talk to the listeners for just 30 seconds about the importance of that? The importance of opening the door and letting your car air out? Okay, so I, I think you can even make it a little bit broader and say, uh, folks, eliminate plastics out of your life. Look at big, big metal water bottle, that's perfect. Yeah, that's what I was but, drinking out of. But how many years have we all drank out of plastic water bottles um, that maybe have sat in the sun for 20 minutes and now the plastics are starting to seek and seep into our water, which we're drinking. Um, for me, I have a job that's considered a carcinogen. Shift work is uh, classified as a carcinogen by the World Health Organization. And I need to minimize every single exposure to cancer-causing agents as I possibly can. And one of the biggest ones that I'm exposed to on a daily basis is plastics. And when you open when you, in the middle of the summer and whether you're using shades or not, you're 
plastics are off-gassing in your vehicle because of the high temperature. And the first thing we do is we open the door and we get inside the, the, the fumes. The fumes and we breathe them and we continue to breathe them until we open the windows. So uh, just w other than the water bottles, a great way to risk, uh, reduce your risk is to uh, open all the doors, uh, let a breeze blow the, the air through the vehicle, and, and you're just clearing out all those BPAs and all those different plastics that you're breathing. So one thing I love about my husband is that when he gets on a kick, he gets on a kick. So we went to some sort of training at work that talked about plastic, and immediately following, we have no more Tupperware. We have no more shaker bottles that are plastic. You know, we're opening our car doors. Like it was this thing, immediate change after he had done this uh, training, even though we have known about this probably most of our entire life. Yep. I think <clears throat> just somebody giving you this information that's like, hey, this is important and here's why. Um, I don't know, I guess that was the catalyst we needed to make the change to get most of the plastics out of our life. Yep. That's not, we didn't know the information. We just weren't acting on it before. But no different than a gym, right? Most people don't come in because they're like, hey, I'm really healthy, but I want to get healthier. Mm -hmm. They're like, I went to the doctor. He said I need to lose weight. So two things you brought up that I think most people use in the CrossFit world are Tupperware and shaker bottles. How do we replace those? Well, we have glass uh, Tupperware now. And so we just use glass. And then we also have, um, I don't know if you've ever seen uh the metal shaker bottles okay yeah i actually have one i didn't even realize i was doing it then okay and that's been replacing our plastic shaker bottles with metal ones slowly but surely one day i came home and i was looking for a shaker bottle there were no shaker bottles similar to the clothes in my closet I threw a ball away <laughs> do you count the, did you count the ball as an item though like one item three oh, pieces sure. Sure. <laughs> three three pieces right there yeah, you know, I mean, we've taken it to the point where, you know, even even the products that we're buying in stores, we immediately pour any liquid into a glass container. So, for example, um, soaps, instead of keeping them in plastic containers, we pour them into a mason jar and put the lid on the mason jar. Uh, shampoos, uh, face cleaners, all that stuff is now in, in glass as opposed to plastic. So we're really trying our best to just Reduce the risk. I, I want to live a long time. She wants to live a long time. We want to be together for a long time. And I've seen a lot of people in my job uh, carrying their family through cancer. And it is not something that anybody wants in their life. You don't, I mean, as you're younger, you don't think about it. And it's not a consideration. But unfortunately, in my job, I see a lot of really sick people. And some of the saddest uh, cases are people who have cancer and it's just not the road I want to go down. I want to talk briefly about the, you guys as coaches. You're both on the CrossFit seminar team. Can you tell us each of your own stories on how you got onto the seminar team? We get a lot of listeners that have a huge goal down the road to, to be there or to pass their level three. What were your journeys like to get there? Well, it was 1692. Yeah, it was a, you, you were like the two first seminar, you know, right behind Dave and Nicole. <laughs> well, no, I'm definitely not right behind them, but, but, but close. We were still, still probably in the teens. Well, in 2008, uh, you know, we, we opened our affiliate in Denver, Colorado called CrossFit Verve. Um, after about a year of doing CrossFit and, and 
uh, we, you know, wanted to get better as trainers. So I went to the level two, uh, which at the time is would be considered now the level four. Uh, same practical exam. Um, I'm sure there's some ma major modifications to how they do it now, but um, at the time, the level two was just a practical test where you're evaluated on your teaching and, and, and a whole bunch of other skills. And afterwards, um, I mentioned to Dave and Nicole, who were there, that I had interest in uh, interning as seminar staff. And I started that in uh, mid-2008 and finished in early 2009. Um, I, I did all of my internships at the Colorado State Patrol Gymnasium uh, in, in Colorado. And back then there was only one seminar every two to three weeks. So if you got asked to work one of those seminars, it was, it was a really big deal. So you never turned it down. And at the time I was a firefighter, uh, with North Metro and they would ask me and I'd be like, oh man, I got to find coverage so that I can work at this thing. And, uh, I did that for years. And then at a certain point it was just like, you know what, I want to do this full time for a while. And I took a leave of absence from the fire, fire department so that I could be full time. And I worked 48 weekends a year with Sheree, uh, at all over the world. Um, level ones, level twos, and then eventually uh, Chris Spieler, Eric O'Connor, and I developed the CrossFit Competitors course, which was attended by thousands of people all over the world, and we got to travel and so very rewarding job, and uh, I still do it. I'm actually headed to an MD level one in uh, the Santa Cruz area next month, so that'll be exciting. I'll get to work with Julie Boucher and uh, Austin Bajibin and some of the other great trainers, and I get to leech some knowledge off of those guys. I heard Coach Glassman shows up at a lot of those. So that's really awesome opportunity too. So yeah, you took you took the old level two that I took, where like eighty percent of the people would cry after because they failed. They failed yeah. there, and um, yeah, big difference between that level two and the current level two. But like you said, the the new level four test is very similar. Right. What, what about you, Sheree? What was your journey to get on staff? So we had moved down from the mountains and I was going back to school and working at Children's Hospital. And I was going back to school to be a nurse. Matt and I both met at the ski resort and we were both ski bums for years together. Um, and when we decided to get professional, he came down to Denver to be a firefighter. And I was like, well, I guess I gotta be professional now too. I had worked in the administration offices of ski resorts. So um, I decided to go back to school, be a nurse. And we found CrossFit through the fire department and we went and started it. And we moved because we bought a house in North Denver and there, the drive to the affiliate that we were going to was like 45 minutes one way. And that was if there was like minimal traffic. So it was really more of a convenience thing where I was like, I don't want to, drive this far so we decided to start inviting some people over to our house in our garage and that was 2008 and we ended up opening an affiliate out of the need to want to work out with other people um matt was perfectly fine working out by himself in, in our garage uh still is super self-motivated but i really enjoyed the community and the people and so we if we wanted it we had to start it and create it so that's what we did and um 
So I was working at the hospital and working at our gym. And my number one priority was education. So we didn't really have much of a budget for our affiliate. But the very first year we were at our affiliate, we spent $10,000 on continuing education because that was in the budget. So it's like, that has always just been really important. I felt a responsibility. And then I saw Matt get on staff and I went and took my level two, same scenario, the old style level two. And um, at my level two, uh, Nicole Carroll asked the people who were participating in it, um, kind of who they thought should be one of the trainers or who would, I, I don't know what her words were, I wasn't there, but I was one of the names that was brought up. And so I inquired, you know, they, someone had told me that and I inquired about it and they let me intern. And that I started my internship in 09 and got the official email from Dave, which was like a sentence long that said, would you like to work this seminar? And it gave a location and the dollar amount that he would pay you for the seminar. Um, and you just responded yes, because there was no other answer. Yeah, there was, there was no, it should have just been like, hey, you're going to start working. There's <laughs> yeah. no sense in asking. Yeah. I'm sure they probably officially hire you now and give you an onboarding process and all of that. But that was the onboarding process, an email from Dave that asked a specific gig if you wanted to work it. So together, how many seminars do you think you guys have worked? Three's definitely worked a lot more than me. Well, I mean, if you include the competitors course, we're probably below, getting close to 600. 600. Together. Not quite. We're somewhere in the five, I'm sure. That's incredible. Now, most of the staff, I wouldn't say most, but a lot, you know, it's, it's rare that it's a married couple on staff, I should say. Now, I traveled. If they stay together, you mean? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not everyone's listening to Sorry. Um, But, so, what's one pro of working with your wife at a seminar and or, or husband, and what's one con? Oh. So what's... What's something I don't realize I'm missing out on by not having my wife work with me on staff? And what's one thing that's like, thank God I don't work with my significant Goggles. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's there's a great one. Yeah, but you would come back to the hotel most nights. You're exhausted after okay. day. But it's, you don't need energy to snuggle. Yeah. All right. It's better. I mean, don't get me wrong. I actually do like sleeping in hotel beds by myself where you get to just spread out. Yeah. But it is nice to be at a hotel with your wife in a different city. It's still, even though you don't really get to go out and see the city uh, that you're in, or maybe you don't even want to, it's still nice to spend time in another city. It feels like a vacation because you're in a hotel. Yes, I agree with, so and what's one thing that you're like, man, it'd be nice to just have some time away. What's one, what's the one con? Well, my con is I, I don't necessarily like the dynamic when I'm his boss. It's not that I can't do it and it's not that I won't do it. It's that that particular hierarchy of a marriage is kind of a little weird sometimes. Well, like, hey, I need you to not do this right now or, or I need you to go do this or, and I don't really love that role with my own husband. And that's a perfect segue because I was gonna go there with that. You are a flow master on the seminar team. And, and for those that don't realize, there's a ton of feedback that everyone's getting, you know, and, and flow masters ask for it from us head trainers. But how is it when you have to give feedback? How is it giving it? And how is it receiving it, Matt? Well, I'll tell you what, in the beginning, it was way harder than it is now. And so we have gotten really good. And I think 
we've got at it is, well, because we want to get better at it. We don't like fighting. Um, but I also think the reason is, is that we, our respect for each other has grown and our respect for each other's knowledge has grown. Whereas in the beginning, maybe we just knew that we were both still learning. And so like, there was a bit of that where it's like, well, how do I really know what you're saying is really, you know, we have the same experience here. There's no, you know, we started this together. Um, but now I actually find it quite easy. And Matt did something pretty brilliant once. We were driving home from seminar. It was a local seminar. This was years ago. And um, I was like, all right, I, I'm gonna give you your feedback now. And he's like, okay, do you mind if I give you some too? And I think- Terrible idea. No, no it, it wasn't. That was actually a, a turning point for how we work in that scenario. So now it's like, I will give him one or two things. And if he's got something for me, he doesn't always, but if he has something for me, I'll listen and take it back as well in the same vein. So that's been really helpful actually. And that he said that to me years ago. Yeah. I think the, the one pro for me is, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm, we all, we all feel judged uh, by our bosses as well as maybe by our cohort of, uh, employees that we're working with in any job in any athletic spectrum you know the, the the whole nine yards but when I work with Cherie if she has something that she's going to give me as far as feedback I know it's just because she wants me to be better and it's not like she's giving me stylistic feedback or, or uh, you know she would rather see it this way she knows who I am she's trying to give, give say to me that like this is one thing that you could do to really make the your your lecture or your breakout that much better. And I love anything she gives me because she sees things from a completely different lens than I do. Right. I, I like the, you know, I, I like things the way I like them and Shree has a different eye on that stuff. And she'll, she'll just say, why don't you try this? And it's like, that's genius. I love that idea. I'm going to do that. But I, and I like the idea. Um, well, and I like the idea of feedback on feedback. I think that's something that also you are aware that however you deliver this, you're going to find out if it, how it went. Yeah. Just in general, if you start talking to someone with the expectation that they're going to tell me how that went, you're, you're going to start talking a little bit differently. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And then the downside is that it took time to, to learn. It took a couple of years how to receive feedback from your spouse. We definitely had a couple fights. Yep, definitely. And you know, what, frankly, I tried to get away with more than other trainers, you know, got away with uh, at seminars. So it was on me more than it was on Sheree most of the time. Um, and I think basically I just needed to respect her as my boss, not, not in addition to as my wife. You know, I, I needed to respect her uh, that she's a great flow master, that she knows how to manage people super well, and she can read most people better than anyone I know. And if she tells me to do something, there's probably a good reason. It's not just something that she's picking on me in particular about. So yeah, that took time. It took, I would say it probably even took two years. Yeah, it took a couple years to get there. Um, but now it's fun. And you know what? I think, you know, I'm grateful for the experience because I don't know that I would deliver feedback to the other trainers in the same fashion if it wasn't for this experience. So it really forced me to learn how people want to learn yep. and how people want to receive 
words that, about their job. Like I did a lot of research for a couple of years on, uh, you know, behavior to try and make sure that I could, you know, stop that dynamic. And I think it made me who I am as a flow with other coaches. And I think it was helpful hugely to being able to deliver good feedback to other coaches. Rumor is, rumor is that after a weekend ends, you guys come home and you have something known as silent Mondays. Is that true? We had it for a long time. Since Matt doesn't do as many seminars anymore, we have a new thing now. So like, Silent Monday was so we didn't talk to people because we, we talked to so many people. So we would just spend the day snuggling. Um, but now... And then applied to each other too. We didn't have to like get all talkative with each other. It was just, you know what? Keep it down today. Today, <laughs> today we don't talk. We can touch, we can't talk. Um, and now with Matt's job rotating where he's been literally awake and on for 48 hours straight, uh, even through the night, he's just so tired. So now it's changed from Silent Monday to really, and I, I mean this in a nice way, I just try to take care of him the day that he gets back. Like, is he getting a nap? Does he have food? Uh, is all he wants to do is sleep? Like, whatever it is, like, I'm, I, that's just the day for us to take care of him. That's a load off for me, honestly. Like, instead of feeling stressed out about having to do some stuff, like, I know this morning I didn't get a chance to take a nap, but, like, Shree was like, hey, if you need to take a nap, you got a couple hours to do it, so just chill out and you know i just laid laid on the floor with the dog and that that's all it was well you know at least the the listeners are going to pick up on it and i can tell you guys have a phenomenal marriage i've been married almost two years now you guys are coming on like 12 or 13 right we have been married 13, 13. so we're coming on 14 what is the key what is what is the key to that healthy, successful marriage? I think we thought about this a lot this year when we hit our anniversary. We chatted about it a little bit. And honestly, like the only key that I have figured out, and maybe you think different, is that no matter what, we keep choosing each other. Doesn't matter the scenario, doesn't matter the problem, doesn't matter the situation. We just say yes to each other. So, so and it, you know, in a, in a, let's put it in CrossFit terms. What does that mean in action? In action, like it means that if we're fighting and we're both trying to be right about something, we realize that this isn't good for us. And in order to choose us, we have to figure out, okay, what's more important? Does this person need support or does this person need support? And allow ourselves to maybe not always be right. Or let's say we have a choice that we need to make, you know, when we moved into the Airstream, that was a choice to save our marriage, I think. Yeah. So, like, it's stuff like that. It's like, well, do we want to stay here and work ourselves to death and forget who we are as people, or do we want to make a massive change? And we're like, we're making a massive change. We're going to go live in an Airstream, and it's going to be all about us reconnecting. So, like, every time life is like, thrown something at us, we've chosen the thing that would make us stronger. So many people in that scenario, and you see it out in the real world, they're just like, I, I can't do it. I can't quit my job and become a CrossFit coach. Or I can't, you know, make the leap to become an affiliate owner. How do you go about just saying, hey, we're selling a box, which you guys sold, CrossFit Verb. You know, I assume you sold your house when you did that. And all of our belongings. And all of your belongings. How do you do something? Like, there's, it's not just 
Monday we're living like this, Tuesday we're in an airstream. What goes on? I, I don't recommend doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't recommend living in an airstream or you don't recommend? I, I don't make drastic decisions like that. <laughs> like, well, okay, but that's so fair. It's not, how do you go from, I want to do this, but not make it drastic? Yeah. Um, you know, Sheree and I have always had things on our, on our minds that we've wanted to do together, but we've been either afraid to do it or life's gotten in the way of doing it. And when things kind of reach a tipping point where it's like, you know what, we're not living for us. We're living for a job or we're living for other people or a house or belongings or whatever. We've kind of used these, these kind of guidepost things that we've wanted to do to kind of straighten the course a bit and, and really reconnect with each other uh, on the things that we got together about that we, you know, really were dreams to us, but also things that we could do. And here's an example, like, yeah, the Airstream thing was a, was a big deal, but Shreen and I have also talked about taking a year off of work and just traveling together and going climbing and biking. And I'm not saying that, you know, that it's possible right now, but I'm going to say that, like, at some point, we're, we're going to do that. We're going to do that. And it's because, you know, life is going to grab us by the horns and lead us a different direction. And at some point, we're going to need to recalibrate our true north and, and follow our hearts to, to the thing that makes us happy. So we're willing to do that for each other. And I think that maybe other people aren't so flexible. I don't know. You know I'm not other people. But I feel like the, the thing that I always try to remember about our relationship and when we're arguing or whether things pop up that are roadblocks in our relationship is that she, Sheree drops everything for me. She does everything for me. And if she doesn't, it's because I'm doing something that's, that she's uh, maybe holding against me unknowingly. So w one of the books that, you know, I had to read way back in the day for the fire department was uh, uh, the seven habits of highly effective people. And who wrote that? Stephen Covey. Yeah. Covey. Um, the one that's always resonated the, with me the most uh, in our relationship is to seek first to understand and then to be understood. It's one of those things that like, you know, you can say it a million times over, but when you really start to do it, it makes a unbelievable difference in your relationship with other people. And, you know, really all of those other things that he talks about, like the emotional bank account and all that stuff. I mean, it's all, uh, it all applies to relationships as much as it does uh, being with highly effective people. So he's always surprised me in that, like Matt's a guy's guy. Like you probably know that, like people see him as a persona. Like it's a, Matt's a guy that other guys like to hang out with, you know, cause he's fun. He's super fun. But when it comes to the stuff that we're talking about, I never, I don't know why I've known you forever, but I still never expect him to like come down to the more feminine place of like being understanding and figuring it out and soft. He always, every time I need him to, surprises me and like understands where we need to go. It is like really, I don't know, connected in the next step. And I've always really appreciated that. And I hope I continue to be like surprised by it because it's kind of fun that I'm still surprised by it. But that's because like 99% of the time he's being physically active and doing man things. 
<laughs> well, again, Jason, here's here's something that we we did that I think really. Uh, here, here's something that Sheree and I did that I think really helped helped out with our relationship. Uh, there, there's certain things that we kind of establish rules for, um, and it really about less arguing and and you know ground rules to your arguments so that you have to understand each other better um, rather than bringing up old shit. So. I don't remember how many rules there were, but here's a There few. were like 13, but I think we only remember a couple. Here's a couple of them. So if, <laughs> if you're ever arguing with your spouse, establish a couple of ground rules for the argument itself ahead of time so that you have to play by the rules when you're arguing. The first one's probably the most important one, and it's like never end the day in an argument. Figure it out. Even if you got to be up till 2 a.m., which I absolutely hate. But he'll do it. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> But because I love arguing, I'll I'll stay up, <laughs> I'll stay up, you know, trying to hear Sheree out because I know she's still upset. I can just feel it. I can tell. It's the energy, really. And we we try to sort things out at least to the point where there's an understanding of both sides of the story. Even if we don't agree at that point, it's still like okay, I feel better having spoken my piece and having you understood that piece. And then uh, another rule is. Uh, never bring up old shit, right? Because we're not the same people we were five year, years ago, three years ago, two years ago. And here's an example: Sheree used to just throw all her dishes into the into the dish uh, into the sink, even though the dishwasher is literally 36 inches away from the sink. Okay. She See, we would get along with that. We would get along fine with that, Sheree. That's what I do. Matt's, so, a, Matt's a neat freak. Remember, he threw out my clothes. So, like, you know, I still blame her to this day, like, for dishes that are in the sink. But that's not, her, that's not her anymore. She's worked on it. She's gotten better at it. And I have to acknowledge that as opposed to bring up old shit. And the old shit could be, you know, something terrible, too. Could be anything. Could be anything. Um, but the, the dishes is a nice example. Yeah, that's a nice, that's one where you're not exposing anything. Yeah. Uh, you have one more one more rule that you remember? Yeah. Um, we also give the, each other the ability to start over. And that's huge. That's huge. Can we start over? Meaning what? How would you how would you use that in a real situation? In the middle of fighting and you don't know where you're gonna go with it. Why are you fighting? You're both angry. You're angry for no reason and you're just taking it out on each other. You can just put the brakes on and just say to each other, Hey, let's start over. Can we start over? And it's like we'll snap into it like right right there like it's not pretend we literally are starting over like it's first thing in the morning and we just woke up i think it's because like there is as the years go on like the love gets deeper which i know that people are like well it's always the most passionate or web or when you're newlyweds i don't know if i really believe that like it's like you just you truly love the person more because you know them more and you've been through more together and it's like you know who they are now so it's like when we say just start over, immediately in my brain, I was like, I love this man so much. That's all I say to myself. And then all of a sudden, like all the negative goes away. It's like, okay. I'm gonna give you, we only have one rule in this house and it's if we're arguing, we have to get naked. <laughs> That's, That's a great rule. So you I guys could, you guys could add that to your 13. All right, well, let's. But before we get off, let's put the let's put your marriage to a test. I have a couple questions. We're gonna do the newlywed game style. 
It's gonna be on the honor system since we don't have cards. I'll ask you both, think of your answer, and then we'll, we'll give it to one another. All right, so we talked earlier about minimalism. I have two questions. One, for the other person, if they had to throw out one thing right now, what would they go choose? So if you had to throw one thing out, if Matt had to throw one thing out of the house, of their what own would it be? Of their, of their own. Of their own. Oh, that's really hard. Okay, so what would Cherie throw out then, Matt? Uh, Cherie would definitely start with uh, some form of clothing. That's true. Because I've seen her turn her hangers around, and if she, I know that those are the hangers that she's testing the clothes, and if she turns <laughs> the hanger around, that means she wore it. So I know that she keeps those hangers turned around, and I guarantee you that would be the first thing. If I said get rid of 10 things, those would probably be the 10 hangers she'd get rid of. So meaning if you if you wear recently, they're facing a different direction than things you don't wear as often. If, if you, right. what, so you have like a system in your closet. Yeah. All right, what would Matt get rid of? He threw away our dining room chairs. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, it. All right, now let's go. <laughs> so where would you sit? He'd buy new ones. New ones. Oh, he'd buy new ones. Doesn't like it, he'd just buy new ones, yeah. All right, let's go opposite. What's one thing they would have a very hard time ever getting rid of? And it can't be living, right? Yeah, you can't get rid of each other or dogs or any of that stuff. Um, I don't understand the it. Van. But... Oh, yeah, the van. He'd have a very hard time getting rid of our sprinter van. Is that good? Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's huge. Okay, what were you going to say about Cherie? Shoes. She has some of the ugliest shoes I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> That she hasn't worn in at least five years. <laughs> but they're oh. still in her closet, even though I've mentioned I, those are the ugliest shoes I've ever seen. You should not wear those. What, what's, the, what's stopping you from throwing those away? The fact that he says they're ugly. <laughs> but do you wear them? Well, no, I don't wear them. <laughs> I just keep them because he tells me they're ugly. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's go a little more in the uh, CrossFit world. What if... Um, they had to pick one workout to do. What would you think is their favorite workout? Uh, Elizabeth, I don't know how many times you have programmed Elizabeth over the years. It's like your favorite workout. Is that true, Matt? That you don't know is your favorite workout. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Now we're talking classic squat cleans? No power cleans. Yeah, I usually do power yeah. cleans. All right. And what would you say, Cherise? Uh Shree likes 30 muscle-ups for time. That's really strange that he's right. I don't think it's strange at all. This is making sense. I right. know that she made a lot of progress on that over the years, and she's proud of where she's at with it. So I know she likes to go back and always test it. It's true. Coach Glassman pulls you over, and he says, all right, I need you to coach one of the nine foundational movements and just rock my world. Which squat. one would – he would pick – Matt would pick the air squat? Mm-hmm. Is that true? I would pick the deadlift. Also, wait, wait, wait. I like I like teaching the deadlift. So Sheree was wrong on that one. Yes, uh -huh. she's wrong. I'm wrong. Okay, which one would what would Sheree pick? Uh, I'm gonna say the overhead squat. That's right. Matt knows you a little bit better. We're finding out. All right, last one. <laughs> You, you know, one thing we didn't dive into at all is the fact that you guys are both 
collectors of tattoos. Yeah. So which is the other person's favorite tattoo of theirs, their own favorite tattoo on their body? I th- well, that's hard because... I know Matt just recently got a tremendous back piece. Right. But, like, my favorite is my wedding ring tattoo. But if we eliminate that because it doesn't have the same emotional context, I would say Matt's is this sheep right here. Yep. Uh, you can show him in the camera. Yeah, I've got a, a, a band. I've got the typical band tattoo. The little black sheep. Yeah. It says out of step. It and that's on the, it's on the it's on the cover of a album that I grew up with. And uh I always identified with that one black sheep and being out of step with the world. So I mean I really I do like that one. I look down at it all the time and it it, it resonates with me. What what album was that? Uh Minor Threat, Out of Step. All right. And now what would be Cherie's? Uh I think Cherie likes the Indian on her thigh. It's totally right. All right. Well, way to end it on a on a win there, both of you. You successfully won the newlywed game. Well, it's been a lot of fun. I know Matt's got to take a nap. Sheree's got to take care of him. And um, hopefully, by the end of the day, you implement that rule that I told you guys about, even if it's not in a fight. All right. You know, it's never a bad time to just get naked and snuggle. So. Well, you know, now the next time we fight, it's exactly what I'm going to go to, Jason. <laughs> it's it's. Very hard to fight when you are looking at someone you're attracted to and they're naked. <laughs> so that's it. There you go. There you go. You won't be staying up late, Matt. Just take your clothes off and the ah. argument ends. The argument ends. There you go. That, that's how I shorten that part. That's a trick. And let me actually, Matt, you mentioned seven habits. I typically like to ask if anybody, if you guys have a favorite book that the listeners check out. Is that the one you'd recommend? Uh, I I'm more practical than even that. I, I, I like the Science and Practice of Strength Training by Zatsiorski. Um, it's just one of those books, those manuals that taught me so much as a coach. And what would yours be? What book to buy and read? Uh, mine would be The Biology of Belief. Who's that by? I don't remember the, I'll, uh, I'll text you the author. I don't remember the author. Oh, I'll look it up. But... Cool, the science and practice of strength training and the biology of belief. And I think that really sums you two up. So, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, think, I think that's you two in books and I appreciate you guys being here. I'll let you guys finish your uh, breakfast. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, Thanks Jason. Jason. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. And just so you guys know, it is bonus week. We're going to be bringing you an episode every day, Monday through Friday this week, and we've got some great, great interviews and episodes coming your way. Check out besthouroftheirday.com if you haven't already, and you can find us on social media at besthouroftheirday or email us besthouroftheirday at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.